At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A warmer from the low. Welcome to Bobby Las Vegas for Ghost Ghost Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family of Podcasts. We've got a tremendous podcast today as we've got one of our conference previews as it is the Metro Atlantic that gets featured today. We're going to be taking a look at the styles of play and betting trends of the Metro Atlantic here in segment number one. Joe Budzelic, he does an absolutely tremendous job over at stretching the floor drive, blogspot.com. He's going to be joining me in segment number two, someone that I've really discovered this offseason. That's one of the nice things about just taking a look at college basketball in the offseason. You can tell the people that truly love this game. Joe is someone that certainly does. We're going to be talking with him about all these rosters. He's got breakout players for every one of these teams as well. He does a really good job of really taking a look at the Metro Atlantic, one of the best jobs I've seen of anyone taking a look at any mid-major conference. So that is going to be a really good and informative chat to be able to know a lay of the land in the Metro Atlantic. In segment number two, final segment, I'm going to give you guys my projector or finish for all 11 teams in the Metro Atlantic. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, as per usual, you've got one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. For one, did not get in any Twitter questions today, and for two, even if I did, because of the nature of conference previews, I would just answer those on the show tomorrow, much like anything that we did see in college basketball. In terms of news and notes on Sunday, those are going to be rounded up on the podcast tomorrow, along with Monday's news and notes. So there's going to be nothing missed, but I do want to just give as much shine as humanly possible to one of the great Northeast conferences in the country. So let's get down to business. Let's take a look at a Metro Atlantic that has been completely dominated by Iona over the last few years. As Iona went 17-3 and within the conference last year, they were by far the top team in the Metro Atlantic, and you just take a look at this Iona bunch, and they have made the NCAA tournament in six out of the last seven NCAA tournaments, in which we have had one. So it's been a lot of dominance there. They did not go to the 2020 NCAA tournament, obviously, because there wasn't one, and that was actually their one down year. So go figure there. But for Rick Pitino, he did a tremendous job in three seasons at the helm there. As we know, there is going to be a bit of a changing of the guard as Tobin Anderson. He comes in from Fairleigh Dickinson. And you're going to notice with 
Most of these teams in the Metro Atlantic, there's a lot of turnover this year, so it's going to make it a little bit more difficult for a lot of these teams. And in the Metro Atlantic, you really don't have a lot of teams that they look to run and then gun it. Really, your most up-tempo team last season was Iona. So it's going to be very interesting to see what Tobin Anderson does as he's got more size than he's really ever had at his disposal. But this is a conference that they very much are looking to play defense. They're looking to play a bit more slowly. And you've got just two of the teams in general in this conference that they really hang their head on defense and they don't give you much offense. And those teams are Niagara and St. Peter's. I think it's very fair to throw in their fair field as well. All three of these teams in the uh, bottom 40 in terms of total possessions per game last season. So you've got a lot of super-duper slow teams there. Siena is also a team that has been playing very deliberately, very slow. They're one of the best teams at being able to deny three-point shots in all of college basketball as well. They were clocking in right around 245th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Canisius is typically a team that they're looking to run a little bit more offense. You'll typically see with Canisius. They'll play quite fast when it comes to non-conference play and conference play just due to the competition itself. They get slowed down a little bit. Same thing happened with Manhattan last season. Another team that has seen a little bit of a coaching regime change with Canisius. They were 151st in the country in terms of total possessions per game last season. Manhattan was more around 192nd in non-conference play. They were playing quite fast. And then they got slowed down by playing against the likes of Niagara, St. Peter's. I think it's very fair to throw Maris in there as well. Maris is a team that in terms of total possessions per game last season, they were 3-22nd in the country as well. So not a lot of super-duper slow teams in this conference. I haven't even mentioned Ryder, another team that they just don't really shoot three-point shots whatsoever. Quinnipiac was a team that played a little bit faster in this conference as well, but now you've got Mount St. Mary's, another team that is in the bottom 75 in terms of total possessions per game as well. So we know what to expect here. Some pretty stout defense, not really a lot of three-point shooting to be spoken for, and a lot of teams that they're going to be looking to hang their hat on not allowing second chances, and there's really a one trick with regards to a lot of these teams. I mentioned it with Sienna. They do a very good job of not allowing a lot of three-point shots. For Maris, they are very good with regards to their interior defense, their perimeter defense, leaving a whole heck of a lot of something to be desired with Ryder. They are not going to attempt a lot of threes, but they're going to look to get the ball inside. They're going to look to take a lot of twos. Fairfield, a little bit in that vein as well, but losing Supreme Cook, their main rebounder, that is going to be hurting them a little bit as well for Mount St. Mary's, one of the better rebounding teams at all of college basketball as well. So you really know what to expect with regards to a lot of these teams. I feel like the biggest unknown is probably going to be Iona with them having a very makeshift roster, to say the least, but Tobin Anderson has brought in a lot of talent, and if you take a look at the betting trends from last season, a few teams that you might not expect were able to make you some nice money. Van Anden, just because of the coaching change, a lot of people thought that it was going to be a dumpster fire. They got a bit undervalued in the market. They went 19-11 and 11 against the spread, cashing tickets on 63.3% of their games if you back them. Meanwhile, it was the Mount was really the biggest disappointment, 11-19-2 and two against the spread, and it was a little bit hodgepodgey, to say the least. Your top team in Iona, 20-15 against the spread. They were relatively solid, but so was Canisius. Canisius went 17-12 and 12 against the spread, and typically there are some conferences where the top teams are your top cover teams and they're your top straight-up teams as well. Some conferences, it's a little bit topsy-turvy. This conference really didn't have a lot of rhyme or reason as you did have Quinnipiac have a relatively solid start to the season. Then things went downhill for them. As a result, they went 14-16-1 against the spread. And you look at how these teams went out of conference as well. 
for the Metro Atlantic, a lot of teams were right around 500. As a matter of fact, Ryder, Maris, Iona, Niagara, Mount St. Mary's. They all went 50% against the spread out of conference. Now, you did have Manhattan, along with Quinnipiac, go either 6-3 or 6-3 and 1 against the spread out of conference. Siena went 6-4 and 1 against the spread out of conference. And the only two teams that were below 50% against the spread out of conference, St. Peter's and Canisius. They both went 3-5 and five against the spread in non-conference games. Meanwhile, if you take a look at how these teams did within the conference, it was a lot of the middle-of-the-road teams that were able to do a solid job. Niagara goes 12-10 and 10 against the spread in conference. Manhattan, they were a 500 team within the conference, which, considering all the situations that happened with Rashawn Storrs taking over as the interim coach two weeks before the start of the season with Steve Massiello's situation, not bad. 13-8 and eight against the spread against Metro Atlantic teams. Ganesh just went 14-7 and seven against the spread with that regard. And then the teams that maybe had a little bit of hype, but they finished towards the middle part of the conference, they were the teams that really burnt you. As Siena went 9-12 and 12 against the spread in conference. Mount St. Mary's 6-14-2 against the spread. And Quinnipiac went 8-13 and 13 against the spread. And what I always think is interesting with the Metro Atlantic is that this is one of the most tightly spaced conferences in all of college basketball. You're not going to have a lot of travel when it comes to Metro Atlantic. A lot of these places are a car ride. In the case of New York City, a train stop, a bus ride away, and you notice that home teams really did not have much of an advantage. Iona went eight and four against the spread at home last season. St. Peter's went seven and six against the spread at home. That's one of the few teams out there in the state of New Jersey. Nobody else hit more than fifty percent of their home games against the spread. Road teams were very, very profitable in the Metro Atlantic. All but three teams covered at least 50% of their games on the road. St. Peter's was terrible on the road. 4-11 against the spread on the road. Niagara went 6-8 against the spread on the road. Siena went 7-8 against the spread on the road. But Manhattan, Ryder, 12-3 against the spread on the road. Canisius, 9-6 against the spread on the road. Merritt, 7-5-1 against the spread on the road. Fairfield, 8-6 against the spread on the road. Mount St. Mary's, 9-7-1 against the spread on the road. Quinnipiac. 8-7 8-7 against the spread on the road, and Iona 6-6. Six six. A lot of this is because a lot of these mid-major conferences, bookmakers are going to award a boilerplate three points to the home team. They really don't adjust it too much, and when you've got such short travel, and, well, when your game is only about 5-10 to 10 miles away from your campus, you're able to actually get some fans in there, and these are very well-attended games. There are a lot of people that are very proud of their Metro Atlantic team, rightfully so. There's some very good basketball that is played in this conference, you get very much 50-50 crowds. And I do think that that's something to really take a look at in this conference. And that allows for a lot of profitability with these road teams because they aren't completely wiped out due to the travel. So that has been something to take a look at the last few years with regards to the Metro Atlantic. And if you're looking from a totals perspective, you did see a few teams actually be relatively solid to the over. Siena, they went 19-13 and 13 to the over. Manhattan, out of their 30 games, 17 of them did go over. Maris, 18 overs, 14 unders, and a push. Canisius, 16 overs, 13 unders. And then you just notice the teams that really couldn't shoot from three. Fairfield, Mount St. Mary's, and St. Peter's. These were the teams that were relatively solid to the under. Ryder as well. Ryder just doesn't attempt a lot of threes. 15 unders, 14 overs for them. Fairfield, 15 unders, 14 overs, and a push. St. Peter's, 18 unders, 12 overs, and a push. And Iona. 19 unders to 16 overs. That was mainly because Iona was a top 50 team in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And if you just break it down within the conference, you did have 
a relatively 50-50 split. You had one team be very solid to the over in Maris, 15 overs to 9 unders with regards to conference games. A lot of that was just because the Maris defense from three-point range was not good to say the least. And then your top team to the under was Mount St. Mary's. They played 13 unders to 9 overs when it came to conference play, but very much a 50-50 divide. You had five different teams hit more overs than you did unders. You had five different teams hit more unders than you did overs, and you had one team be 50-50. Fairfield, 10 overs, 10 unders, and a push within Metro Atlantic play. So there wasn't really a whole lot of trends there. It was a little bit more team-to-team, but I always do want to note that with regards to Metro Atlantic, because you don't have a lot of travel to contend with, that does lead to a little bit more value on these road teams. And what always lends value is taking a look at stretchingthefloor.blogspot.com as Joe Budzelik. He does an amazing job running that site. He's going to be joining me next. He's going to be breaking down all 11 of these Metro Atlantic Conference rosters and taking a look at breakout players for every one of them. That's up next right here on Kuskusips with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of Decent Family Podcast, Metro Atlantic Conference Preview Edition. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. 
Welcome back here, Buggy Las Vegas, for Cuts Cuts Eats with myself, Greg Eats Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. You may recall this man joined me for another review of a conference out there in the Northeast part of the country. It's Joe Budzelik. He does a tremendous job over at StretchingTheFloor.com, taking a look at all things college basketball. I know that he, much like myself, absolutely loves these mid-major teams. I think that this is going to be a very fun conference to be taking a look at, and Joe, he is very much writing up a lot of previews with regards to a lot of these teams as well. So if you're looking for a little bit more information there, you want to follow him on Twitter at STF underscore NCAA. And Joe, it's great to have you aboard. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Joe, let's dive right into it as it's a conference that has been really run by Iona throughout the last few seasons, but it's very much a new look Iona team. It's a new dawn and a new day as Tobin Anderson we all recall what he was able to do at Fairleigh Dickinson last year. He's went from the D2 ranks all the way up to Iona in less than 24 months. So you give him a lot of credit there. But other than Osborne Shema, this is a completely new look team. They've brought in a lot of guys like Wiza Ponzo and company via the transfer portal. And should we expect Iona to still be towards the top of the Metro Atlantic, despite the fact that we do have a lot of moving parts, with the biggest of which being at the coaching spot. Yeah, Iona's still a top two team, honestly. Like, Kevin Anderson's a fantastic coach. D3, D2, FDU, he's won everywhere he's gone. With Iona, what you'll expect is kind of classic Tobin Anderson basketball that he's been brought since his days back in a St. Aquinas uh, years ago. But you expect 40 minutes of press, 11 new players on this team. So a lot of moving parts. What's funny is last year, FDU was the shortest team in D1. But now he has size that he's not coached probably ever. So you mentioned Shima. Osborne Shima is probably one of my favorite players I've ever seen live. He's like a seven foot former soccer player. And he he's like the head of the snake of their press. It's ridiculous watching like the seven foot guy guarding like 5'11 guards. But yeah, I mean like in their moving parts, like Joel Brown from Cal, um, obviously Cal hasn't been like a strong Pac-12 team. He was one of the top defenders on the team for the last couple of years and he'll jump right in to be their starting point guard. Aiden Trito is another really good guard from Harvard. Imagine a lot of good shooters, um, but a bit of like lunch pail grittiness as well. Like I'm pretty high on Greg Gordon. Uh, he's a Juco addition who averaged like 23 points and 12 rebounds at a Dyersburg State Junior College. It's a lot of pieces. Um, like I said, 11 new players. My guess is it'll be like a rotation of nine, maybe 10, but until proven otherwise, like Iona just keeps churning out winning coach after winning coach after winning coach. I see them still at the top of the Mac this year. And bringing in someone like an Eden Treetout from Harvard as well. That's going to be big for them. You mentioned the gentleman from Dyersburg State and Gordon. He was a top 20 junior college transfer according to JucoRecruiting.com. So I'm right there with you. Might take a little bit of time for the chemistry to build. So the non-conference record may not be what you expect. But I do think that once they get into conference play, that's going to be massive. And I feel like we know what we're going to be getting out of Niagara in terms of a tempo perspective. And about 297th or slower in terms of total possessions per game in every single year that Greg Paulus has been there. But pieces are going to be very different for them as well. Noah Tomlinson, he was tremendous for the team. 19.5 points, 3.5 assists per game. He's out on the fold. So you're looking at the likes of uh, Obang Menzo comes in from UMBC to help out. They still have David Mitchell in there, but you've got a lot of moving pieces with this team. And I like some of them, like a Kawain Marble is someone that put up numbers at Wyoming. Luke Bumbelow, a few years ago in the MAC, I liked him as well. But all in all, it isn't very much a lot of moving pieces with them. And without Thomas in the fold, I think that that could be very much doomsday for Niagara. 
Yeah, I mean, well, Greg Paulus, he's entering his fifth year. They've been slowly building. Last year, they were 16 and 15. It was their best finish in five years. Like you said, just 25% of their scoring returns. They returned their best defender from last year, Braxton Bayless, who should probably start the year as their starting point guard. In terms of returnees, my breakout picks are the Mac. I'm going with Harlan Obiaha. He's seven foot 280. He's a monster. He played offensive line in high school. And if you look up his YouTube highlights, there's a video of him catching a touchdown as like this 280 massive offensive lineman. But he played more towards the end of his freshman year. He has pretty quick feet for a guy his size. There's a lot of turnover overall in the Mac in the front court. And I could see like a young center like him kind of stepping up. But yeah, they have seven transfer additions this year. So all of that momentum that Paulus has built through the years, it's a little hard to fathom with so many new pieces, none of which are really huge impact pieces. But they're all like solid. Five of them are solid D1 players. Like I don't see a star in their uh, transfer hall, but I see a lot of good players. They're also returning David Mitchell, Lance Irving as fifth-year returnees. It's a weird roster how there's like 10 or 11 guys who could possibly start. We'll see how they go. Expect really slow tempo, like you said, but strong interior D. We'll see. <laughs> they might be in the middle of the pack, is my guess, I'd say. Yeah, I think that they're one of the more interesting wild cards in this conference because, to your point, of Obioha, he, in the last nine games of the season, shot 81% from the floor, was able to give the team a little bit over four rebounds per game, so there's upside there. Joe Budzelik, he does great work over at stretchingthefloor.com. He's joining me breaking down the Metro Atlantic here on Coast to Coast Hoops, and this team certainly loses a lot as well because we talk about Iona having a little bit of a coaching change Quinnipiac loses Baker Dumbleby to Villanova, and he's going to be helping out that program in a wide variety of ways. But Tom Pecora, who was the Hofstra head coach many years ago and spent quite a bit of time on the staff, he now takes over. And I think the biggest thing for this team is trying to bank on Savion Lewis getting back to his 2021-22 form. He was really solid two years ago. He had nine points, a little bit over four assists per game dealt with injury, couldn't really get out there on the floor last season, and they do lose a lot from last season. Paul Otinho coming back, that's something that is solid as well, but I do think that Baker Dunley being being out of the fold is something that has went a little bit under the radar, and I do think that that could be holding this Quinnipiac team back a little bit, even with the likes of Richie Springs from that UConn team that won the national title last year coming in. Richie Springs was actually kind enough to talk to me about his uh, transfer. He was like a top like 125 recruit, top 100, top 125 recruit, kind of like a bouncy stretch forward at like 6'9", 235. When you're playing behind so many talented players that they've had at UConn, he just never really got the minutes, but I just see him jumping in and being a huge impact stretch four for them. He could handle the ball. He could run the court. I see him with um, Otieno or like a really, really nice combo. Obviously, Matt Belonk's back. He's a great shooter. Averaged 12 points last year. For me, what's really interesting is like Springs hasn't played a lot. They're all, they also have Elijah Taylor, who's a Notre Dame commit who transferred over. He's He hasn't played Division One basketball yet. Their front court is unproven but it could have a lot of upside. You mentioned their backcourt. A lot a lot of players have transferred out, but they have two uh, Juco additions. Doug Young, he averaged almost 21 points. I think he was ranked like top 30 Juco prospect. And then um, Arian Lewis from Laramie averaged 14.7 assists and like 43% from three. They have unproven options in the backcourt. I like their frontcourt a lot, to be honest. And they're actually a really old team. They have nine upperclassmen that should be in their rotation this year so it'll be one of the older teams in the MAC for sure and that usually means success nowadays in college basketball 
it's a rarity as well with Quinnipiac being able to retain so much of the roster from last year, despite the fact that he had a coaching change as well. So good on everyone involved for being able to do that as well. Not a lot of this roster is going to be maintained, though, as for Siena, Carmen Marciello has been able to do a really good job in recent years of being able to build up Siena, but I think this might be his toughest job yet. Michael Ely is back in the fold. I like what he was able to do last year, nine and a half points per contest, and Sean Drew Gordon coming in from Austin P, where he had 12 and a half points, six boards. He was formerly of Missouri, recruited as like a top 300 transfer as a top three recruit, that's going to be able to help them out a little bit. And I do think that Braylon Smith is a little bit of an upside freshman for the team as well. But I do think that this could be a little bit of tougher sledding for a Seattle bunch that they lose seven out of their top eight scores from last season. And this is a squad that they pride themselves on not allowing a lot of three point shots on defense, but a lot of moving pieces for this team. The thing with Sienna, like Karma is like one of the best defensive coaches in the Mac. When you have a roster with that much transition, if you just keep it simple, player strong defensive style, that type of style usually transfers over when there's a lot of roster turnover. An interesting stat about Sienna, the last three years, they've ranked top 50 nationally, both in minimizing three-point attempts and assist the turnover ratio. So they force a lot of interior ISO shots which really doesn't mean high-quality offense. So that could be a way that they could kind of crawl their way through games. My personal favorite breakout potential is Killian Gribben. He was a walk-on last year to Ireland. He's currently playing in FIBA European Championship right now for Ireland, and he's averaging, like, insane stats. He's averaging, like, 22 points, 12 rebounds. Don't quote me on these stats specifically, but I've seen a couple games where he has, like, first-round fantasy draft numbers if this was, like, the NBA draft. He's, like, a stretch forward, kind of like a skinny 6'10", 2'10", stretch center. The starting lineup is wide open for Sienna, and I could see him just jumping right in and being a huge piece for them with Jackson Stormo graduating. You mentioned Brilliant Smith, a freshman. He was offered by LSU earlier in his recruitment, so you mentioned a high upside. You never know with Sienna. Like, I would never count them out. Massarello's one of the best. And I don't care what the roster is right now. I just He's a great coach, and I would not sleep on them for sure. He's one of the coaches that in the Metro Atlantic I am certainly willing to give the benefit of the doubt to, and this coach I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt to on defense. Want to see a little bit more on offense. And I'm talking about St. Peter's. It was one year under Bashir Mason. And they did a solid job with regards to their defense. You tell that this was a bunch that they were one of the more rough offensive teams in all of college basketball, (laughs) to say the least. They are going to need to try to find just a little bit more three-point shooting in general because they obviously made that unprecedented run to the Elite Eight two seasons ago. I don't think that anyone was really thinking that, that they would duplicate that. But I do like Corey Washington, a guy that he doesn't necessarily do one thing great, but he does a lot of things relatively solid. They bring back Latrell Reed as well. And I just take a look at the St. Peter's team. You don't necessarily have that one alpha dog guard, and it feels like they've got a lot of guys that they just are sort of Swiss Army nice. They don't necessarily have that one guy that I think is going to give them 15-plus points, light it up from three, but they've got a lot of guys they think, could be versatile, and I think that that could lend a little bit of upside in this conference. You mentioned Corey Washington. Um, What made St. Peter's, or one of their strong points, was elite offensive rebounding. You mentioned Corey Washington. He was an all-MAC rookie team selection. 6'6", but he was one of the best offensive rebounders on the team. You mentioned that they don't really have a guy. I'm really curious about Marcus Randolph. He's a transfer from Richmond. He has a career 40% three-point shooting ratio, and Richmond always finds good prospects, sometimes just undervalued in the high school rankings. So I could see him slotting in right into the three guard and just 
really letting it go from three for a team that really hasn't had three-point shooters in volume for years and years and years. I'm a Northeast Conference fan as well. Roy Clark is a solid grad transfer from St. Francis of Brooklyn. They no longer have an athletics program, but he's like a 6'4", 2'10", grad transfer. He does a little bit on the offensive end, a little bit of everything. He could shoot a little bit, get to the basket. He could rebound. He could pass. Yeah, like kind of a bunch of like weird mismatch kind of Swiss Army Knife guys. Elijah Wood is a guy I'm curious about. He was a Nebraska commit a couple years ago. He's been in JUCO for the last few years. He played point guard in high school, but he's like a 6'7", 185 combo guard. So at that size, he might play like stretch power forward for them. So yeah, it's a lot of pieces. I think they'll be at the bottom of the Mac, but they're one of those teams that you never want to play because you know you're going to end up bruised and battered at the end, and it's never a fun team to play against for sure. Yep, there's. it feels like every conference has one of those teams. They're not necessarily going to win a bunch of games, but they just make life not fun for you. I'm in agreement. I think that St. Peter's is that team. As Joe Budzelic does tremendous work over at StretchingTheFloor.com, he's joining me, breaking down the Metro Atlantic here on Coast to Coast Hoops, and for Ryder, they do bring back Quite a few of their top flight scorers from last year. Alan Powell, Lance Mervyn James. I think that these are two tremendous guys to be getting back in full. But the loss of Dwight Murray Jr. I think might be one of the biggest in this conference. He was Mr. Do-It-All for this team. The offense really ran through him. And what I think is going to be intriguing is this is one of the better transfers, in my opinion, in the conference. TJ Weeks. If he's able to get back to that freshman form that he had at UMass, where I still remember he was putting up 14.5 points, shot 48.5% from three, that would be awesome for this team because he just has never really been able to find it ever since then. Has always averaged at least 8.5 points per game at UMass, which in my opinion is a pretty good level of competition. But I do think that this team is also going to need to get a little bit more of Tariq Ingram. Remember him transferring in from Wake Forest a few seasons ago. He was able to put up 6.5 points, few rebounds per contest last season, and for Ryder, I think the biggest question is, how do they replace, really, the ball-handling duties with Dwight Murray out of the fold? Yeah, Ryder's an interesting team. So they were the last team I previewed on stretching the floor. I think they're the top threat to Iona for the title. Kevin Baggett's one of the most respected coaches in the MAC. It's going to be his 12th season at Ryder. He does a really good job adjusting to his rosters. Like, if you look through his rosters, he doesn't really have a super set style. He kind of adds pieces and kind of works from there. And to me, that's a really good sign of a great coach. One thing that Ryder never does is like they're the lowest three-point shooting team in existence. Like they don't shoot threes. They don't shoot threes well. That's super rare now it is. But my guess is they have a very veteran-laden team, but also like five freshmen. So I could see them having a very short rotation. You mentioned TJ Weeks as like an upside transfer. He should be great. His brother Tyreek, he's an entering sophomore from Miami-Dade, uh, junior college. If you look at his numbers, he's a 6'6", 200. So he's a bigger guard than his older brother. But he averaged 14 points, seven and a half rebounds, a block a game, and he shot over 40% from three. And I know Juco to Mac is a big jump, but if you're shooting 40% from three, shooters are shooters. It's the same three-point line. I'm also a fan of JT Langston. He's from East LA Community College, famously known for Last Chance U on Netflix. And I was talking to their head coach and what he mentioned about JT Langston, he's like 6'8", 205, kind of like a center, a run-the-floor power forward. He's one of those guys who'll do all the dirty work for you. He averaged like 9.7 rebounds in just 14 minutes per game. So if you do quick math right there, like that's an insane like per 40 stats. So I like their top six, top seven. DJ Dudley is my favorite freshman of their class. He was a three-star recruit out of the 2022 class, but he took a, grad, a post-grad year. Earlier in his recruitment, he was being offered by USC, San Diego State. So he's a tough combo guard as well who could get some 
immediate playing time. I'm not a betting man myself, but I know you're a betting fan yourself. Writer, I would put some stock on Writer for the championship for sure. I think they got what it takes to challenge Iona at the top. In a conference that is full of moving parts as well, being able to bring back guys like Mervyn James and company, I think that that is going to be critical for them. And with Mount St. Mary's, they do lose one of their main ball handlers as well in Jalen Benjamin, but I do like what they have coming back as well. I think that Xavier Lipscomb is going to need to be a little bit more of a high-volume scorer, but he shot it well from three-point range last season. Josh Reeves has dealt with a few injuries throughout the last few seasons, but he's a guy with some upside along to Coda Lafew in the backcourt as well. And something that I felt like got slept upon just really in the national landscape of college basketball over the last few weeks, Terrell Art Jr. coming over from Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. I recognize mm-hmm. that he's not necessarily going to be a guy that's going to be like a double-double machine or anything like that, but he was one of the top rebounders for a Presbyterian team out there in the Big South that I think makes a big difference for this team because I was wondering where a little bit of the rebounding was going to be coming from. Jenny Cordelia, I didn't know if he was going to be able to take that next step forward. And now being able to add a little bit more depth in the front court, I think that that's big for the Mount. Jenny Cordelia is actually my breakout pick for Mount St. Mary's despite the fact that Terrell Ard was added. Cordelia is a unique guy. He's 6'9", 210. Mount St. Mary's is known for a really slow tempo, but I'm curious if a guy his size with his athleticism would kind of push the pace a little bit. They're known for having a really strong defense without causing turnovers. So balanced perimeter and interior D, they prevent free throw attempts and they force iso plays. The offense isn't very strong. Their biggest issue is they turn the ball too much. They need to work on that. And as you mentioned, like Xavier Lipscomb, he's got to work on that. A player that I'm really intrigued of is Malcolm Dredd, another transfer from Richmond. Uh, He was a three-star recruit, didn't play much at Richmond. Big guard, 6'4", 210, only a sophomore. So I see him plugging right into the starting lineup. You mentioned Terrell Ard. He's just a big dude. I don't know how else to say it. (laughs) Malik Jefferson just graduated uh, from Mount St. Mary's. He was the program's all-time leading rebounder. So they're missing that big guy under the basket who just kind of uses body to box out and grab boards. So I see a really, really fun rotation at the five spot between Cordelia and Art. A little bit of lightning, a little bit of thunder, a little bit of mix and match potential. And Cordelia has enough stretch potential. I could see him even playing some power forward at 6'9". So there could be some really fun rotations for the team this year. And we were discussing Mount St. Mary's being more of a defense-oriented team. That holds for this team as well. As joining me on the show, we do have Joe Budzelic does tremendous work over at StretchingTheFloor.com or previewing the Metro Atlantic for this upcoming season. And that'd be Fairfield. Under Jay Young, this has not been a team that has been a blazer by any stretch of the imagination, but they always do a good job down low. But now they do have to replace one of the best names in all of college basketball, Supreme Cook, who is really the top rebounder. You really didn't have anyone else that gave you north of about four rebounds per game last season. But Brima Sec comes in from New Mexico. Didn't see a lot of minutes there, but someone with good size at six foot eleven. That's big. Lewis Bleachmore, JucoRecruiting.com. Adam has one of the better junior college transfers in all of college basketball as well. And if they can get anything out of Bryce Goudin, that would be big because I remember he was a former top one recruit, began his career in the Big East slash the ACC with Providence and Syracuse, just could not stay healthy last year. I think that Fairfield is a team that maybe they have a little bit of a low floor, but if Sec is able to emerge, I think that that would be huge for the Stags. Yeah, Jay Young needs that. Their head coach, Jay Young, has the hottest seat in the MAC. I would say. It's his fifth season. He's never finished above 500 in MAC conference play. They have a brand new, beautiful arena. I live 15 minutes from the arena. It's the best arena in the MAC. It's a very passionate fan base. They, they need results soon. I... If not, I wouldn't be surprised if this is Young's last year at the helm. 
You mentioned Brima Sec. He's my breakout pick. I picked breakouts uh, recently on my blog for each team in the Mac. He's just like a bouncy 6'11 rim runner. Another guy who was a soccer player who ended up playing basketball. And he has some stretch potential, lots of energy. He's a high motor guy. He also considers himself a comedian, which might be good for a struggling team to kind of lighten the locker room a little bit. You mentioned Bryson Goodein. They have they have a couple really high-profile guys. Like Bryson Goodein, as you mentioned, a former top 100 pick. He only played four games last year. The big breakout that all the Fairfield fans are telling me I should have picked this guy instead is James Johns. He's the son of the assistant coach. Early in his recruitment, he was recruited by UConn, a lot of high majors. I think when he finished his high school career, he was still ranked in like top 200, something like that. But he's a 6'6", 185 really versatile, bouncy, shoot. Like, he could do a little bit of everything. I see him really exploding in a sophomore year. Caleb Field is a good returning fifth-year player. Does a little bit of everything on the offensive end. He's not, like, a super dynamic guard, but he's a really, really rock-solid fifth-year returnee. Someone I'm not sleeping on is Matt Curtis, local freshman from Connecticut. He was being offered by Rutgers, UMass. Decided to stay in Fairfield, so I could see him playing right away. Another Juco pick that I'm Pretty excited about late pickup Jasper Floyd at Hillsborough Community College. He averaged 15 points, seven rebounds, and five assists for a 6-3 guard, which is pretty insane. But yeah, right now it's all on Brima Sec. They still have, I believe, one scholarship remaining. He's the only player on the team right now who's taller than 6'7 and heavier than 200 pounds. So right now he is the island of the front court. They need to add some meat before the season starts or else they're going to get destroyed down low because Sec has a bunch of potential. But he's not going to be playing 40 minutes a game. You need to beef up. I see the Stags adding uh, another addition before the offseason ends. I would not doubt it as well. as I do think that Fairfield could use a little bit more depth as well, even though they're not a team that is necessarily going to be just running it in and gunning it up and down the court, just be able to give a few different looks, I think would be big for them. And we've got a new look with Manhattan. As I know that there were a lot of people that were not necessarily thrilled that Rashawn Stores did not get the full-time head coaching job for Manhattan. He's actually going to be out in the America East this season as an assistant, but John Gallagher, who was able to leave Hartford to that NCAA tournament a few seasons ago, he now comes in and he brings the top scorer from Hartford with him and brings McLean from last season. He was able to put up about 14 points, shot it well from three-point range. Tony Johnson Jr. I think is a very interesting transfer as well that comes in from Central Florida. Didn't play last year, but two years ago was able to see meaningful minutes in the American. Logan Padgett is someone that I think could have a little bit of upside as well. But all in all, I do take a look at this Manhattan team, and I do feel like they are going to be one of the teams that they're one of the biggest teams that they lose out with just having a lot of seniors on the roster last season. And I do think that it might be a little bit of a tough season, number one, for a very good coach in John Gallagher. You mentioned Rashawn Storrs. The fan base wasn't happy when he wasn't hired, understandably. However, John Gallagher is a veteran coach. He was 12 years at Hartford, led Hartford to March Madness in 2021. He led Hartford through adversity when they were dropping the D1 program down to D3. And I could see him leading through adversity through a lot of tenuous coaching decisions in the last couple off seasons. He's a great guy. He's a good coach. His biggest signature is loss of threes. So what's going to be new with Jaspers is he's going to let it rip from the perimeter. That's why I'm excited about Shaquille Bender, a JUCO edition. Shot 47% in the JUCO level at Fullerton College. So I could see him starting right away from day one. 
being a huge addition for Gallagher, who loves to shoot the three. I mentioned Briggs McLean. He brought over from Hartford. He averaged 14 points, shot 35% from three. Manhattan is a pretty unproven team. They had a couple additions that I'm curious about. Brett Rumpel from St. Bonaventure is a sophomore. Um, he was highly recruited out of high school. He's a Binghamton area guy. It's hard to know what's going to happen with this team. Briggs McLean's going to be one of the starting guards. And really from there, I would say out of all the teams in the MAC, the preseason is where you're going to learn the most about Manhattan. I could see that starting lineup changing all throughout the season. So I don't see it being a strong year for the team, but I like John Gallagher. He seems like a great guy. I'm rooting for Manhattan to do well. I could see it being a tough year for the Jaspers for sure. Yep, lots of moving parts for the Jaspers, and I'm in total agreement. I think that John Gallagher is going to do good things at Manhattan. I think your number one might be a little bit rough, though, as joining mm. me on the show, Joe Budzelik, who does tremendous work over at stretchingthefloor.com, taking a look at the game of college basketball. And we've got two teams left for Canisius. It's been rather tumultuous for them in recent years, not going to lie, but Taj, I always get this name incorrect, Savaski, he comes back after he had 12 and a half points per contest. I do like him, and they pick up Joe Jones the third as well. He comes in from Georgia State. He should be able to help the team out down low because they are going to be losing a few pieces from last season as Jocko Fritz being out of the fold, that does hurt them. But the likes of Xavier Long, Bryce Oakpo, these are guys that are able to do a relatively solid job down low. I've got question marks when it comes to the backcourt of this team, though. I do like the fact that they were able to get a little bit of production as well out of someone like a Trey Dinkins last season as well. But I do really think that this might be one of the better teams in terms of front court in the conference. I like Reggie Witherspoon. He's a Buffalo guy. He coached at University of Buffalo prior to Kinesis. So his heart's in the city. His teams are known for moving the ball really well, playing quickly, shooting well, limiting turnovers. So they're a fun team to watch, regardless of how good they are each year. They're really fun offense to watch. Their front court, I mean, Joe Jones is a guy who, he's another Buffalo guy who ended up uh, committing to Georgia State. Had a really good freshman year, and then he's only played 13 games since the 2019-2020 season due to injury issues. A Buffalo kid going back home, he was a three-star recruit. I'm really rooting for him just to be healthy show up in front of his home fans. He mentioned that Jocko Fritz transferred to Hofstra. His little brother's on the team, Yuri Fritz. Similar size, he's a little bit skinnier. If he's anything like his older brother, Jacob Fritz is one of the best passing big men that Mac has had in years. So I would imagine there's a bit of a similarity between the brothers for sure. Another addition I'm very curious about, he didn't play much last year for Valparaiso, but Cam Paliz, he's a 6'5", 195 point guard. He had 10 offers out of high school. Didn't play much as a freshman, but I feel like players like Police grow in the Mac because these type of like weird mismatch, like large point guards kind of do well because they could do so many other things to kind of uh, build their resume. So Kinesis is another team that's fun to play. They're not fun to visit, obviously, because they're when you think of the Mac, you think of like New York City area. But yeah, I mean, Witherspoon teams, they're going to play good offense. Again, defense is usually the issue with the team. And we've got one team left. And typically, defense is not the issue with this team. It's the offense. And we're talking about Maris, the old Red Foxes, who they do bring back four of their top five scorers from last year. Problem is, their top scorer, who averaged 19 points per game, and Patrick Gardner is out of the fold. Nobody else only averaged more than eight and a half points per game. And I think a real key for this team is Cam Ferris. He was an awesome three-point shooter when he was at Robert Morris for those two years. Shot 40-plus percent from three in two years there. That was down to about 32% from distance last year for a team that was... 333rd in the country at three-point shooting percentage. 
They're really good, Maris says, in terms of being able to guard inside the paint. They're very good with regards to being able to guard the two-point shot. Threes and the perimeter have killed them in recent years, and I think that that's going to be the big key. If Maris could be a little bit better from the perimeter, there's upside. If they can't be with guys like Isaiah Brickner and company in the backcourt, could lead to a little bit of a rough season. Yeah, the three-point is an issue for them. Something that should help is they picked up Citadel big Jackson Price. He's 6'8", 240. When you think of 6'8", 240, you don't think about perimeter options, but he shot 44% from three last year. So I see him causing like a really good one-two punch as the offensive side at the center position to replace Patrick Gardner. Patrick Gardner is going to be really hard to replace. Like that's just, it is what it is. Their transfer additions of Jackson Price and San Jose State transfer Max Allen. It's a pretty interesting pair. Max Allen, 6'9", 260. He was recruited by Houston, UNLV. He's a Vegas guy. He has really soft hands and he could shoot it from the elbow. Marist is a team that was really young last year. Obviously Gardner was a grad transfer but all those guards that were freshmen and sophomores last year are now becoming a little bit older i could see them kind of gelling a little bit more and just kind of be a middle of the pack team i don't think they're going to be as bad as they were the last couple years but they will grind you down slow offense strong interior defense another team kind of like st peter's where it's never that fun or easy to play against them they're a tough team to play against i could see them as a middle of the pack team in the mac for sure and john dunn's a good coach too Yep, John Dunn has been able to do a solid job, and he's a guy that has been around the Metro Atlantic for a very long time, and Joe, you're a man that you do a tremendous job taking a look at the landscape of really all of Northeast College basketball and all 362 D1 teams. You're doing a tremendous job getting set for the upcoming season. I know that you were alluding to it a little bit. You've got some great write-ups with all these Metro Atlantic teams over on your website, stretchingthefloor.com. So let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people are able to get a little bit more of your work on social media and other platforms. Yeah. So again, Stretching the Floor, uh, stretchingthefloor.blogslot.com. I do most of my stuff on Twitter, STF underscore NCAA. If you live in the New York City area and have never been to a Mac game, you got to some of the best buildings to watch basketball that I've ever seen live. It's a fun time. So get ready for the Mac action this year. Absolutely. And you typically get fan bases that travel very well because unlike in a lot of conferences where you have like Wisconsin having to go to Rutgers, for example, (laughs) you don't have to go very far in what is like Manhattan versus Iona, things like that, which is always very fun to see and one of the best things about the Metro Atlantic. And I know that Joe does a tremendous job taking a look at this podcast, taking a look at this conference and whenever he joins this podcast, does a tremendous job lending his insight. So a big thanks to Joe for joining me right here on Coast Coast Seeps, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you my projector of finish for the Metro Atlantic, a.k.a. the Met. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in Las Vegas for Cuscus Eats with myself, Greg Eves Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It was great to be able to get Joe Budzelik aboard. He does amazing work over at Stretching the Floor. You heard him on my America East preview a few weeks ago. It was good to be able to get him back on. He is out there in the northeast part of the country, works very hard taking a look at the great game of college basketball, and really good to just be able to connect with these great college basketball minds. That's part of what I love about the offseason. We're able to discover people like Joe that are putting in good work, that are taking a look at this game that we all know and love. So big thanks to Joe for joining me on Cusco Soups. Now it is that time of the podcast that I give you my projector or finish for the Metro Atlantic, a.k.a. the Mac. There's two Macs, so makes it a little bit confusing. That's why I've been calling it the Metro Atlantic all throughout the podcast. But with that said, before we go any further, just a friendly reminder that because I am doing a conference preview today, any of the news and notes in college basketball I miss, those are going to be rounded up as well. So I'm going to be doing the last 48 hours of college basketball news and notes on the podcast tomorrow. So I have no fear there. It does feel like we are starting to get a shortage in terms of transfer news, but at the same time, we do want to make sure that anything that is missed, we are going to be able to polish that up. And how about if we polish up number 11, a.k.a. dead last in the projector or finish, it is Manhattan. And 
I do like John Gallagher as a coach. He did good work at Hartford, and he's going to be bringing Briggs McLean with him. McLean was able to average 14.5 points per game on 35% three-point shooting at Hartford last season, but Hartford literally had nobody else to go to, and when McLean was on the team two seasons ago, he averaged fewer than five points per game, so that's a little bit of an issue. You're bringing someone like a Perry Cohen, who comes in from the Ivy League, was at Brown, averaging about three and a half points per game, but I just don't see really where a lot of the rebounding is going to be coming from. Daniel Rosan is the only player on the roster with D1 experience that is taller than six foot six. Averaged three points per game at Weber State last season. You're going to be looking at Torrey Johnson Jr. to be able to come off of a season which he did not play and average about four points per game two seasons ago at Central Florida. I do know that Hartford, when they were under John Gallagher and actually in a conference, they were able to play some tough defense. I think that they got a ways to go to be able to reach that state. I've got Manhattan dead last in my projector finish. At number 10, I'm going to be going with St. Peter's. With St. Peter's, you just don't have a lot to really love on this roster. Now, with St. Peter's, I think that this is going to be one of those ultimate teams in which they lose a lot of games, but they're going to be that ultimate pest. You do know that Bashir Mason, who came over from Wagner a few seasons ago, he does a good job of being a preach defense. It's going to be a slow and controlled style. This team really needs to improve on the fact that they were 358th in all of college basketball last year in three-point shooting percentage. And they lose the only two guys that shot above 32% from three-point range last season. As a matter of fact, they don't return anyone that shot above Really, 28% from three-point range last season. Brett Bland, he shot 28% from distance with three and a half points per game last season. Now, Mohamed Sal, he comes in after averaging about five points, five rebounds per game last season. I think that he's going to do a solid job down low. Latrell Reed is a statue suffer along with Corey Washington. Both of these guys average between six and seven points per contest. You're able to get a combined right around 1.8 steals out of them. Latrell Reed gave you three and a half assists per contest. Washington, a little bit less of a distributor, but a combined nine rebounds out of these two guys. They're going to play defense. You really don't bring in a lot via the transfer portal either, though. This is a bunch that they're scrappy, but they don't necessarily have a whole ton of size either. I just really do not know where the production is going to be coming from for this St. Peter's team. Do I think that they're going to play hard? Absolutely. They bring in Marcus Randolph as well from Richmond. The guy that was able to average right around three and a half points per game and has a little bit of upside, but I don't know. I think that's a rough year for St. Peter's. I've got them number 10 in my projector finish. At number nine, I'm going to be going with Fairfield. And for Fairfield, they're going to be another one of these teams, which it's not going to be fun to play up against them. Jay Young, ever since he took over Fairfield, has had this team playing at a rate that has been 270th or lower in terms of total possessions per game. And they do bring back Caleb Fields. Caleb Fields is relatively rock solid in the backcourt. And I do like Luis Bleachmore, who is a 6'5", little bit of a combo player, was rated by JucoRecruiting.com as the number 55 junior college transfer in all of college basketball. He should be able to pair well with Caleb Fields, who was able to register about 12 points per contest, chipped in there 2.5 assists per game from 3-point range, shot about 32%, but much like I was talking about with St. Peter's. Where is the three-point shooting going to be coming from? And now you lose the only player that averaged more than four rebounds per game. You lose pretty much three out of your top four scores from a season ago. Now, you do have someone in Jason Leach who was able to give the team about six and a half points, three rebounds per game. But can Bryson Goodine actually stay healthy? Because if he does, you know what? There might be a little bit of upside with this team. You still are going to be dealing with a little bit of depth issues, even if he is able to stay healthy, though. So... I do have a lot of question marks 
for this Fairfield team. I do think that they're fighting a little bit of an uphill battle. So I think that there's perhaps a little bit of upside, perhaps a chance for them to be a bit of a surprising team. Yes, but they were 360th in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage last season. They really don't bring much of that back. They've got one guy on the roster returning from last year that shot above 27% from three-point range. So in terms of my projector or finish, I do have Fairfield at number nine. At number eight, I'm going to be going with Maris. Once again, they got killed from the perimeter last season. Maris is actually a good interior defensive team, but you lose out of your top five scores, only one of them, but it's the one guy you couldn't afford to lose. Patrick Gardner, 19 points, six and a half boards, a block per contest, shot 38.5% from three-point range. Now, what could lend a little bit of upside for the team is if Cam Ferris is able to get back to what he was when he was at Robert Morris a few seasons ago. He spent two years at Robert Morris, shot above 39.5% from three-point range in both of those campaigns. Last season, he shot about 32% from three-point range. That was a big, giant issue for a team that was outside of the top 310 in terms of overall three-point shooting percentage. They really didn't do a good job of guarding the three-point arc as well. You do bring back someone like an Isaiah Brickner, who I think is going to be able to have another relatively nice season along Javon Cooley. Cooley did shoot 35% from three, seven points, four and a half rebounds per contest. Brickner is able to give you about two and a half assists, seven and a half points per game, but it feels like a hodgepodge without a go-to guy. I think that that's something that could really be holding this team back. They really don't bring in a lot via the transfer portal as well to be able to elevate. I know that this team is going to be playing some hard defense. I just don't know where the offensive production is going to be coming from. I'm noticing a theme here with these teams. They're towards the bottom of the Metro Atlantic. So as a result, coming in at number eight in my projector finish, it is Maris. At number seven, I am going to be going with Niagara. Now, Niagara has actually done a relatively solid job in the transfer portal. Ah, Obeng Menza. He's a six foot seven gentleman that really doesn't pop a lot of threes, but he comes in from UMBC. He's going to be able to help this team out down low. And the one real big piece that you miss, it's just one that, in my opinion, you really couldn't afford to miss as he was one of the best players in this conference last year. That'd be Noah Thomason. Thomason was in an offense that was in the bottom 10 in terms of total possessions per game, and he averaged 19.5 points and 3.5 assists per game. That's the equivalence of putting up like 23, 24 points at another school. So he was a big, integral part of this offense. That's an issue. Now, Luke Bumbleo, I do think, offers this team with a little bit of upside. Bumbleo, two seasons ago, he was able to shoot it well from three-point range over at Ball State. He was able to put up right in the neighborhood about 9.5 points per contest. So I think that that is going to be able to help out this team. On top of that, you're going to be looking to Kawain Marble to get back to what he was able to do at Wyoming during the 2020-21 season. He was able to average 9.5 points per contest, and as a matter of fact, for Bumbleo two seasons ago, more like 11 points and 3 assists per game out of him. You bring in someone as well in Randy Tucker from UW-Green Bay, who was able to average 8.5 points per game, but really, Lance Irving is the only returning player last year that shot above 28.5% from three-point range. You bring back Braxton Bayless. Bayless, I think, is going to be solid, and I know that Joe was talking about Harlan Obio. Hopefully I said that correctly. He averaged only about three points and three rebounds per game last season, but final nine games of the campaign, more like four and a half points, 4.2 boards, shot 81% of the field. So is there upside with Niagara? Yes. Do they have a good coach in Greg Paulus? Yes. But I think that that Noah Thomason absent is really going to cost them from being one of the main contenders in this conference, which is why I do have Niagara number seven in terms of my projector or finish. And number six, I'm going to be going with Sienna. And if 
it wasn't for the fact that Carmen Maricela was the coach of this team, they would honestly be even lower. They returned darn near nothing from last year. Michael Ely, he's back. He was very solid for the team. He was able to register about 8.5 points per game. He was able to shoot it relatively solidly from three-point range. He is the only of their top eight scorers that returns from last season, though. They do bring in someone I do like, a John Duru Gordon. Duru Gordon was able to have a nice season last year at Austin P. 12.5 points, six boards per contest. And I will say, for Ely, he was able to register more like 13 points at 39.5% three-point shooting in the last eight games of the season. So, a little bit of upside there, Giovanni. Emma Juru, he comes in from Sam Houston State. He's 6'10", really didn't see a lot of minutes, but you know what? There's upside there along with Braylon Smith. He's a freshman that I think is going to be one of the best freshmen coming into this conference. He's someone that stands in the neighborhood about 6'3", 6'4", maybe not super-duper great size, but rebounds a little bit better than his abilities and his overall height. And I do think that this is a bunch in Siena that they're actually going to be relatively solid down low with Killian Grebin, who really didn't see a lot of minutes last year. He's 6'10". He should be able to do a solid job down low, but that's a lot of backcourt production to replace. I do like the coaching staff of this team, but I mean, really, that's the biggest selling point at this point, and I just can't really trust in this roster to push them any further. So, as a result, I do have Sienna, a little bit surprisingly. You can come at me if you want to, but I just take a look at the roster and got to put them number six in terms of my projector or finish. At number five, I'm going to be going with Mount St. Mary's. This team was 358th in the country and owned two-point shooting percentage last season and losing Jalen Benjamin Hurts, but Xavier Lipscomb. I think that he's got a lot of upside. Made 46.2% of his three-point shots last season for a team that has been 288th or slower in possessions per game each out of the past four seasons. This team was also 348th in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis as well, so they're going to need Lipscomb to step up, and Dakota Lafue is going to be finding the ball in his hands quite a bit more as well. 13 points, team I 1.3 seals per contest on 38% three-point shooting. They're going to need him to step up, I think that he's going to be able to do so. Josh Reeves returning to this backcourt should be able to clean up some of those turnovers as well. Two seasons ago, averaged seven points on 36% three-point shooting. I think that's going to be big for them. Jetty Cordelia, he's able to give you some height. He had eight points, four and a half rebounds per game. I know that Joe was high on him. Personally, I'm a little bit higher on Terrell Art Jr. because we did see him be a primary rebounder for Presbyterian. Granted, Presbyterian stunk last year, but this guy is very strong, has a nice frame, seven points, six sports per contest last year. Francek Barton, he's back from last season after he was able to register about three rebounds per game. And then I do think that Malcolm Dredd, the transfer from Richmond, who really didn't see a lot of playing time, but according to 247 Sports in the class of 2021, a top 325 freshman should be able to give the team a little bit of upside as well for the Mount. They're a very well-coached team. They're a team that they know what style they're going to play as well. So I do have Mount St. Mary's. Number five in terms of my projector or finish. And number four, it's been a rough last few years for Canisius, but I'm going to go with the Golden Griffin. Taj Stavosky, he's back after registering right around 12.5 points per game, nearly three assists per contest. I think that there's real upside with him. You're bringing Joe Jones the third. As dealt with some injury issues, but if he's able to be stout down low as he had in his two seasons played over at Georgia State, Three and a half points, three and a half rebounds per game. That's going to be able to help out. And you've got Bryce Okpo, who's back down low after he had right around three and a half points, three and a half boards per contest as well. Xavier Long was able to haul in there. Six boards, a little bit over two assists per game. And then what I think is big for the team is the fact that Trey Dinkins was a part-time starter last year 
ended the year with eight points on 40% three-point shooting in the last 14 games of the season. Now, I think that this is going to be a last name that I mispronounced. Siam Ujadidal, he was able to shoot about 42% from three. I think that he's going to be able to take some strides forward as well. Now, a lot of that did come against D3 for Dona State, but I do take a look at Canisius. I think that they've got some nice pieces. I think that they've got one of the best front lines in this conference, and in a conference that is very much breath of three-point shooting. They've got some guys coming back. They're able to stroke it. I see massive upside with the Golden Griffins. I've got them number four in terms of my projector or finish. And number three, I'm going to be going with Quinnipiac. Tom Picora takes over after Baker Dunleavy did bolt the program. That's rough, but you've got Matt Blonich. Blonich was a 2021-22 All-Metro Atlantic performer that last year averaged right around 13.5 points per contest, 37% three-point shooting. That's the last two years combined. Paulo Tino, right around 6.5 rebounds per game. And Richie Springs really just did not play for UConn the last few years. He was a very highly touted guy back in the day. Six foot nine guy that's from very much a winning culture. You can't get much more of a winning culture than a team that just won the national title. You bring back someone like a J.J. Riggins who's able to give you a little bit of a spark off the bench. And on top of that, I think that Xavier Lewis, he can be the guy at the point guard spot. Two seasons ago, nine and a half points little bit over four rebounds, four assists per contest, limited sample size as he had his season cut short due to injury. And I think that the injuries that cut short his 2021-22 season really lingered into last season. And then you've got Amari Trice, who comes in from Wofford. He was able to register about four boards per contest. He's looking to help out a Quinnipiac team that was 57th last year in rebound rate, 48th in points allowed on a per-possession basis on the road. This is a team that's full of a bunch of road warriors. I do think that the move from Pecora to Dunleavy. Not going to affect this team as much as a lot of people would anticipate, and it's very good that they see it announced. They were able to maintain a lot of these pieces. I do think that Quinnipiac in for a nice season. I've got them number three as a result in my projector or finish. At number two, I'm going to be going with Ryder. The Dwight Murray Jr. loss is massive, but you bring back Alan Powell and you bring back Mervyn James. James, six foot seven, do-it-all player, 13 points, nearly seven rebounds per contest. Allen, as I like to call him, Boom Boom Powell, he was able to give you 10.5 points and two assists per game, and I think that TJ Weeks might be, when it's all said and done, the best transfer in this entire conference. Last year, he had a career-low 8.8 points per contest at UMass. He was doing this against Atlantic 10 competition. I think he comes in and he immediately becomes one of the best scorers in this conference. I still go back to his 2019-20 freshman season. It was a limited sample size, but he had 14.5 points on 48.5% three-point shooting and 1.8 steals per game as a true freshman at UMass in the Atlantic 10. That tells me something. Tariq Ingram, he comes in from Wake Forest after right around three and a half rebounds per game with Ajiri Aguemo Johnson out of the fold. They're going to need him to pick it up as this team always does a very good job on the glass as the team grabbed 35.2% of their missed shots on the road as an offensive rebound. Fourth best road offensive rebound rate in America. I think that once again, they're going to be able to do that with Ingram being able to step up. TJ Weeks is a guy with right around 6'5", 6'6", size. I think that he's going to be able to grab some boards. I think this Ryder team is going to be very versatile. I think that Weeks is going to be exactly what the doctor ordered for them. Number two in my projector or finish, I'm going to be going with Ryder. And at number one in my projector or finish, this team has just been a machine in this conference for so long. And I do, despite the coaching change, like Iona in this spot, Tobin Anderson, he proved that this man could coach. Fairly Dickinson last year wins two games as a 16 seed in the NCAA tournament. They returned just one player from last year, but Osborne Shema, he's a very good guy to return. As he had seven points, four and a half boards, 1.3 blocks per contest, 
And he's a seven footer that's able to shoot three. Shot 35.9% from three point range last season. Wiesa Ponzo is a six foot seven, sort of a jitterbug guy that's also able to shoot it well from three. Shot 46.9% from three point range. 19th among qualifying D1 players in three point shooting percentage. Greg Gordon was rated by Juco Recruiting as the number 16 junior college transfer. Now, Dyersburg State is not like some big mecca of junior college basketball or anything like that, but he put up 23.5 points and 10.5 boards at that level last year. If you're putting 23.5 points and 10 boards up on the board, I don't care what the competition is at the college level. That tells me something. Joel Brown also comes in from Cal. He was able to average more than three assists, a steal, and seven points per game at Cal. Now, wasn't a great three-point shooter, but he was getting starts in the Pac-12. Ian Tretout, he comes in from Harvard, shot nearly 37% from three last season. You've got Terrell Williams, who enters after he averaged right around 8.5 points per game a season ago as well. I believe that he was a part of that Harvard team as well. All in all, you've got a lot of talent brought in by Tobin Anderson. I think that he's done a good job of being able to scheme up this roster. They're able to have a whole bunch of guys that pop threes. And for Tobin Anderson, he's done a lot more with a lot less. And I think that he's going to be able to have this Iona team staying on top of the Metro Atlantic. I do have Iona as my number one team and my projector are finished. And that will wrap things up for the Metro Atlantic Conference Preview Edition right here on Coast Coast Hoops. Now part of the Visa Family of Podcasts. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters CM, they mean does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Big thanks to Joe Budzelik. Does great work over at StretchingTheFloor.com. Take a look at the game of college basketball. Really a college basketball guru out there in the northeast part of the country. I'm coming at you guys every single day on this podcast here in the offseason. Looking at the news and notes of college basketball. Doing conference previews much like I did today. And then once we get those conference previews done, it's time for basketball. And I'll be giving you guys picks and analysis on every single game, every single day, once those games start up. So appreciate you tuning in today. And I'll catch you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.